Hi, this is Hannah. And Sharon. We are currently watching the Northern Lights here in the West Fjords of Iceland at 1 a.m. This podcast was recorded at... 12.42 p.m. on Wednesday, the 22nd of February. Things might have changed by the time you hear this. All right, now here's the show. That is a total bucket listing. Same! That's what I was going to say. Yes! (sighs) It's a dream. Yeah. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Claudia Grisales. I cover Congress. And I'm Carrie Johnson. I cover the Justice Department. And we are here with an update on a trial we first told you about a few weeks ago. Members of the Proud Boys, one of the groups that participated in the U.S. Capitol riot on January 6, 2021, are on trial for seditious conspiracy in Washington, D.C. Carrie, you have been in court following this. In fact, you are at the courthouse right now. Uh, so remind us who specifically is on trial here and, and what charges are they facing? These five men on trial here are allegedly leaders of the Proud Boys in one way or another. That's a far-right group that has attracted a lot of attention, uh, certainly even before the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. Among them are uh, Enrique Tarrio, the former chairman of the group. He may be the most well-known. Joseph Biggs, who had a sideline gig working with the conspiracy site InfoWars. And then a guy named Dominic Pezzola. Uh, People may remember him because... He was pictured busting out a window or two in the Capitol Mm. on January 6th that allowed uh, hundreds of other people to pour through and enter the building. So it's been a few weeks since we talked about this trial. It was just starting back then. It's been going for a while now. Uh, Before we get to the substance, can you just paint a picture for us of the scene? Like, what has this trial been like? This trial has been like being in the backseat of a car driven by a teenager with their learner's permit. Every five seconds, there's an acceleration, and then there's a huge slam on the brakes. So (laughs) it's been quite frustrating in terms of the pacing, and it's been quite frustrating, I'm sure, for the prosecutors, too who have labored to really tell this jury a story about these men and what they did or didn't do in the weeks before January 6th. Every time they try to get somewhere, um, one of the five or more defense lawyers in this case um, interrupts with lots of objections. And the Mm. judge has been uh, allowing arguments in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon about what evidence the jury should see. So it's made this quite a choppy presentation so far. In fact, so choppy that one of the defense lawyers said a few weeks ago that this felt like being on Gilligan's Island, that old old television show, where you think you're going on a three-hour tour, and instead you're stranded with all these people working out their interpersonal issues for some indefinite period of time. Right. This sounds very different than the Oath Keepers in terms of how that trial went when it came to these seditious conspiracy charges. Yeah, the Oath Keepers trial was a long one, too. And of course, uh, two of those men, Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs, were ultimately convicted of seditious conspiracy. But there weren't as many stops and starts. And the judge in that case, Amit Mehta, um, ruled with more of an iron fist. And he uh, didn't let um, some of these arguments go on for um, minutes and hours and days and didn't have the jurors Mm. waiting so long to hear evidence in Mm. the case. The judge in this trial, the Proud Boys trial, Tim Kelly, has taken a a lighter hand both with the defense lawyers and the government in terms of allowing Mm. them to argue uh, for a long time about what kinds of videos and chat messages uh, the jurors should be able to see in the case. So, Carrie, how much of a presence has former President Trump been in this trial? You know, I'm thinking of after the white supremacist march in Charlottesville that that turned deadly, his description of 
both sides. Or there was that presidential debate where the Proud Boys were brought up. Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. Is it correct that that did not go unnoticed by the folks in these groups, including the Proud Boys? They absolutely took note, Tim. In fact, the the witness currently on the stand, a former Proud Boy named Jeremy Bertino, says that uh, after... uh, President Trump said in a debate in 2020 that the Proud Boys should stand back and stand by, that they got flooded with emails and calls and requests to join the Proud Boys. It blew up exponentially. And they couldn't believe it. They were jubilant and overjoyed that the president had uh, shouted them out in this debate. And in fact, some of the lawyers in this case, the lawyer in particular for Enrique Tario, the lead defendant, has basically argued to the jury all along in his opening statement, for instance, that Tario is being scapegoated because the Justice Department doesn't want to charge Donald Trump in connection with January 6th. And Enrique Tario makes a much easier target. And Trump came up yet again in recent days because a lawyer for Joe Biggs, another defendant, has um, said that he wants to issue a trial subpoena for former President Donald Trump. He wants uh, Trump to testify in this case on behalf of the defense. There's an open question about whether they're going to be actually able to get close enough to the former president, given the Secret Service presence and, and all of the safety and security issues to serve Trump with the subpoena. And then there's an open question about Trump, whether Trump would actually want to show up here in court and testify under oath. But that's on the table, too, right now. Is the theory from the defense, then, that Trump is the responsible party, that he was directing them or directing the insurrection? Or, or what are they trying to argue? You know, we haven't got to the defense case yet. All we've heard from them are opening statements and some cross-examination. Uh, but what we know from those clues is that the defense basically thinks that, or at least some of the defense lawyers think that former President Trump is at least morally responsible for what happened on January 6th, that he issued a call to arms on Twitter in December 2020 uh, telling people to come to D.C., be there, will be wild. And that he took right. a long time to tell people go, to go home on January 6th. And uh, they're arguing that their clients have been caught in the legal crossfire, as it were. Yeah, this seems to be an echo of the arguments we heard from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack, which wrapped up its work last year of Trump's role and that the Justice Department should be pursuing uh, his exact role. And it's interesting to hear it come up in this case as well. Have there been any surprises, Carrie, that you've seen so far in the trial? You know, one of the biggest uh, surprises has been that we just saw a rich body of evidence suggesting that uh, a person at the Metropolitan Police Department here in Washington, the D.C. police, in charge of intelligence, was engaged in a lot of communication with uh, Proud Boys Chairman Enrique Tarrio before January 6th. And it looks like, based on uh, emails and texts and other things we've seen, that uh, this person tipped off Enrique Tarrio to the idea that there was a warrant out for his arrest for the burning of a banner in Washington, D.C. in December 2020. And there was a lot of communication that prosecutors portrayed as really inappropriate communication that a D.C. police officer has been on leave. His defense lawyer argues he did nothing wrong and was just gathering intelligence. But boy, um, that was a very unsavory series of hours when we heard more about that. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break right now, but more from Carrie about this trial when we get back. 
And we're back. And Carrie, the the name The Proud Boys stands out. It's something that has entered the bloodstream, if you will. Uh, But is the prosecution um, making a case about who they are and and what they are up to. Yeah, you know, the jurors are hearing that the Proud Boys may have started as a drinking club or as it called itself a Western chauvinist organization. But there was a divide within the group between the guys who just wanted to party all the time, literally, and the ones who were more fired up and were eager to go to rallies and commit violent acts. And Right now, we've got Jeremy Bertino, who was a a North Carolina leader of the Proud Boys on the witness stand. He actually wasn't in D.C. on January 6th because he was stabbed and suffered really serious injuries um, in December, uh, weeks before uh, the storming of the Capitol. But Bertino was talking about text messages and chats he engaged in with other members of the Proud Boys before January 6th, and to some extent on the day of, where people were encouraging each other um, to uh, basically uh, basically go all the way, and it sounds like kind of commit revolution against a government and a police force that they thought had abandoned them and sided with Antifa and people on the left. So... Obviously, this trial is a big, high-profile, seditious conspiracy trial, but it is part of this massive web of investigation, uh, of other charges against lower-level people who were involved in January 6th. Where, Carrie, does that Justice Department, that sprawling Justice Department investigation stand at this point? Here's what we know. About uh, a 1,000 people have been charged so far, and the Justice Department has told uh, the federal courts and others that it it may have a 1,000 more uh, cases to bring. Um, Some of those, of course, are people who entered the Capitol and may have defaced property, and others face more serious charges like beating up police officers. But You know, the open question is, we know uh, new special counsel Jack Smith has been pretty aggressive about hauling people into the grand jury who had big jobs in the Trump White House, including some of the lawyers in the White House counsel's office and others. And the open question is whether the Justice Department is going to get farther up the ladder from these uh, extremist groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and to reach people who may have actually uh, funded and organized um, the storming of the building, and and people who uh, basically were, as Jamie Raskin calls it, masterminds. And so we don't have charges against somebody at that level yet. And I think there's a hunger from Democrats in Congress and some people all over the country to see if and when the Justice Department is going to be able to get there now or two years after the assault on the Capitol. And Claudia, um, Kerry mentioned Jamie Raskin, who is one of the key Democrats who was involved in the January 6th uh, committee doing the investigation. Of course, there's a new Congress now and the House is controlled by Republicans. So where where do things stand now? I know that there has been quite a bit of pressure on leadership to, you know, investigate the real story of January 6th, um, pressure from the base and, and some of the more far right members of the of the caucus. Right. Yes. Carrie talks about the hunger of looking into these, getting a better sense of these probes by the special counsel. There's also a hunger by Republicans. They will be stymied, of course, because there are these special uh, counsels looking into different areas of interest, especially 
January 6th. That said, Republicans are doing what they can. For example, we saw reporting by Axios that was matched by a number of outlets that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has allowed Fox News host Tucker Carlson access to hours and hours of U.S. Capitol surveillance footage. Um, and of course, there are large concerns here that Fox and Carlson have uh, spread misinformation related to January 6th. So there's a lot of worries on how this footage is going to be used. I talked to the former chairman of the January 6th Select Committee. Of course, they disbanded at the end of last year, but he was telling me he will be briefing the Democratic caucus over their concerns of how this footage uh, will be handled, how it could be framed through uh, Carlson's program, for example, going forward. There's a lot of worries here in terms of security risks. And he was telling me about the very delicate process that the committee had in terms of accessing this footage. They had to go to a special terminal. They had to get special clearance from Capitol Police on what clips they could share. And a lot of it has been shared through the committee's work and through other congressional committees. But that said, there's worries that this is going to present a new risk and new ways of disinformation related to January 6th. So that is something that remains to be seen. Could releasing that footage, Carrie, have any effect on the ongoing prosecutions and investigations on the Justice Department side? That is a really good question, Tim. That came up. That exact issue came up in court this morning in the Proud Boys trial. But one of the defense lawyers pointed out that uh, the Justice Department has already given a lot of the CCTV footage to these defense lawyers. It may be that what uh, Kevin McCarthy has released to Tucker Carlson uh, may may include even more hours of footage. But by and large, defense lawyers were already drowning in evidence to sift through. And I don't think Mm -hmm. it's likely that there's anything uh, on this new footage that would influence this trial in particular. Well, in terms of that trial, where do things go from here? Oh, I wish I could tell you. Um, earlier this week, uh, one where of the is this, attorneys... Where is this wild minivan taking you yeah. with a student driver? Uh. I don't know if it is a minivan, but yeah, it may be a minivan. That that actually could be perfect. Um, <laughs> earlier this week, one of the defense lawyers and one of the prosecutors said they were going to get together and try to craft some language for the jury because it's their view the jury needs to be told that this case is going to be a lot longer than they were informed when they signed up to do this public service. And so it's not yet clear how much longer this case is going to run. Some people think uh, the defense may start around St. Patrick's Day, and it could go through all of March. Mm. But I'm unwilling to predict because this thing has been uh, so slow and so many stops and starts. One of the questions I have is whether uh, we have a a third trial of members of the Oath Keepers ongoing now in this courthouse down the hall from the Proud Boys case. Uh, That trial may be over to a verdict before this one ends, even though it started later. So um, there will be an end. Uh, I don't know when it will happen. Um, But until then, I will keep eating um, the courthouse cafeteria food and reporting here for duty almost every day. (laughs) All right. Be careful of sodium. (laughs) Oh, Um, God. (laughs) Yes. If I didn't eat sodium, I wouldn't eat anything. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to leave it there for today. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Claudia DeSantis. I cover Congress. And I'm Carrie Johnson, National Justice Correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.